He had wit, he had charm, and he had intelligence. He also had this uncanny ability to communicate. So at an early age, he decided to go into politics. The problem was he didn't know how to deal with that political opponent. You know, and every time he, that, that political opponent would cross paths with him, he would respond in an un ungodly and dishonorable way. He would simply write a letter to the editor of a local newspaper and lambast the man's character. Then he'd sign the letter, letter simply anonymous. Well, he had some success doing this for a while, our man of wit, charm, and intelligence, until one day a man got tired of his character being slammed and he found out who was writing these letters. He challenged our man of wit, charm, and intelligence to a duel. Now this guy, this man of wit, charm, and intelligence was not an athlete, but he had long arms. So he found a former West Pointer who, who knew how to fight with swords. And he had this guy teach him how to, to be a swordsman. And a, a few months went by, and the day of the duel was ready to, to occur. He went down to the riverbank, and he pulled out his sword. He yelled on guard while his opponent pulled out his. And thank God that the aides-de-camp pulled them apart. Because on that day, this man of wit, charm, and integrity most likely would have died. And had he died, the course of our nation would have been altered greatly in a negative way. On that day, on the riverbank, he vowed that he would never speak ill of anyone ever again. Isn't it funny that when you make a vow, that God's going to hold you to that vow? At some time in your life, you will be tested on that vow. So goes it for our man of wit, charm, and intelligence. Fast forward several years. The nation is in crisis and he's sending troops into the field. And it's a horrific battle, a three-day battle. In 72 hours, 51,000 men die. His heart is broken and he's grieving. But that grief soon turns to anger when he finds out that his key commander in the field allowed the enemy to escape. And when the enemy escaped, he knew that it would prolong the conflict and tens of thousands of more men would die. He wrote a scathing order of relief, relieving the general of his command but he never sent it. His aide approached him and said, why haven't you relieved this general? He needs to be held accountable. He's incompetent. This is dereliction of duty. And he said, how could I do that? How could I speak ill of him when I wasn't standing in his boots in the midst of the carnage with blood, death, and dying all around me? Fast forward a handful of months, and there's a big commemoration ceremony for this battle and our man of wit, charm, and intelligence. He's asked to speak, but he's not the keynote speaker. The keynote's a, a very popular politician and a very gifted orator. And so our man of wit, charm, and intelligence shows up, and this incredible politician before him speaks for two hours straight. And as he speaks, he's holding everyone in the palm of his hand, everyone except our man of wit, charm and intelligence. He's sitting on a stool a couple feet be behind him, and he's fidgeting. And the reason why he's fidgeting is he wrote his speech the night before on a, a small piece of paper, and he doesn't have it memorized. He's going to read it. Well, this man finishes, standing ovation. He turns and looks at our man of wit, charm, and intelligence, nods his head, and he walks to the edge of the platform. He puts his hand on a table, pulls out his piece of paper, and begin speaking these words that most of us know four score and seven years ago. 
our fathers brought forth from this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. The guy that spoke before Abraham Lincoln spoke for two hours, and most of us don't even know his name. Abraham Lincoln spoke for two minutes, and he leaves a legacy. In fact, towards the end of his presidency, he became a devout follower of Jesus Christ. If you look at his reconciliation plan, a lot of the, the principles from the Sermon on the Mount are within that plan that was never implemented. It's principles such as forgiveness, loving your neighbor, turning the other cheek. So Abraham Lincoln is looked at as, if not the greatest president in the country, one of the greatest presidents this country has produced. That's his legacy, a legacy as a great leader, a legacy of courage, a leg legacy of character, honor, and integrity. Think about that word, legacy. We're all going to leave a legacy. But is it the legacy that we want to leave? I mean, think about that. Adolf Hitler left a legacy. Saddam Hussein left a legacy. But so did Mother Teresa. So will Billy Graham. So will you. And so will I. Well, here's a truth we're going to land on today as we talk about legacy and what legacy is. The truth is this. A positive, godly legacy doesn't just happen. It doesn't, it doesn't find you. You create it as you walk in partnership with God. Legacy doesn't find you. You create it as you walk in partnership with God. That's what we're going to be landing on today. God's got a whole lot to say about that. We're going to be hanging out in the Old Testament today talking about one of my heroes, a guy named Caleb. We're going to look at three main places in the Old Testament. We're going to start out in Psalm 90, and then we're going to roll from there over to Numbers 13 and 14 that start telling the story of this hero of faith called Caleb. And then we'll roll forward to that to Joshua chapter 14. My hope is, is at the end of this teaching today, that you'll have a great understanding of not only what it means to create, to create a legacy, but to live a legacy day by day with the choices you make and leave a godly, positive legacy. Okay, I'm, I'm going to be in the New Living Translation. Uh, let's kick it off in Psalm 90, verses 10 through 12. And if you've got your smart tablet, your iPhone, and you've got the YouVersion app downloaded, you can follow along with all of my sermon notes and all that good stuff, okay? New Living Translation, Psalm 90, 10 through 12. Here we go. Seventy years are given to us, some even live to eighty. But even the best years are filled with pain and trouble. Soon they disappear and we fly away. Who can comprehend the power of your anger? Your wrath is as awesome as the fear you deserve. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Moses wrote this psalm when he was in his 80s, and it was at a rough time. God was doing what I call a Yahweh smackdown on the Israelites. They had been stupid, and they were going to be punished for their stupidity. And what we see in this psalm is God, through Moses, tells us that life is short, and there's going to be some pain and difficulty in, in, in life, but we have to be very, very careful with how we live our lives. And in fact, if you go back to verse 12, the direct translation of it is, teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. Uh, when I was in the army for nearly 30 years, that whole time, you know, I'd deploy all over the place. And when we, de we would deploy, we call it going downrange, whether you deploy to a combat zone and you knew when your, your end time was in the combat zone, or whether you deployed overseas to do a training mission with a, a foreign military service, or if, it, like when my family and I lived overseas for so many years, we would have these things called countdown calendars. 
And a countdown calendar was basically, basically like 178 days in a wake up and I'm out of here. You know, 12 days in a wake up and I'm out of here. Two years, four months, uh, five days, three hours, 12 seconds, and I'm out of here. And the great thing was when you went from, you know, being a, we call it a triple-digit midget to a double-digit midget, 99 days in a wake-up. Or when you're a single-digit midget, it's 10 days or 9 days in a wake-up, and I'm out of here. I'm so short I can sit on a dime and swing my feet. Those were great days. But what, we, what I found out as a young soldier was the more I started counting those days, the longer the deployment seemed. And what I would share with my troops was a, a very biblical truth, and I didn't realize it was a biblical truth at that time, but this, this truth uh, holds true in my heart, and, and it holds true when it comes to creating, living out, and leaving a legacy. And that truth is this, don't count the days, make the days count. Don't count the days, make the days count. I know it sounds cliche, but it's a biblical truth. If you go back to Psalm 90, verse 12, teach us to number our days. Number our days means to take account for the days. That doesn't mean you just simply count them off. That means you look down into the meaning of each day. Each day has a meaning. And each day, we have an opportunity to make decisions. And we create our legacy by the choices we make day by day. So Moses writes this psalm at a very difficult time. Here's the background of what happens. And it's the background of our story today. God pulls the Israelites out of Egypt and they're, they're, they're taken to an area called the wilderness or the desert. It's a short trip from Egypt to the promised land. But because the Israelites keep on messing up, God extends their time in the desert. So eventually, after about two years, the Israelites are poised on the edge of the promised land. And God says to Moses, Mo, here's what I need you to do. I need you to get your 12 tribes together and get a spy out of each tribe. And you're going to send them for 40 days, and they're going to walk around the promised land. And what I want you to do is have them report back to you what they see. Speculation here. But I wonder if, I wonder if God did that to see if they would walk by faith rather than walk by sight, because they were going to see some difficult things. So often in life, God's promises always have God's challenges. Okay, so he sends these guys out. I picture Moses, they, they come back. Moses is sitting here on a rock, and he's got some leaders of Israel all around him, and the spies show up to do their report. There are 12 spies. Spy number one shows up. Mo, it's, uh, it's beautiful land. It is beautiful land, but there are some problems. He's like, stop. Next spy. Yeah, beautiful land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, but stop. And he goes through these spies, and of the 12 spies, 10 of them have a negative report. Our story kicks off in Numbers chapter 13. Let's look at this. Numbers 13, verses 28 to 29. The spies, 10 of them have said, the land flows with milk and honey, but... But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there. The descendants of Anak, the descendants of Anak are one eyebrow, no neck, bad smell, and bad breath fighters. These guys are tough. And so they start laying out all the enemies they're going to face. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the, the Jordan Valley. Remember, God had promised them this land, hence the term the promised land. But these people were having a problem. They were walking by sight rather than by faith. Look at the report they give here. 
I mean, the towns are fortresses. We can't take them. The people, they're fierce. We can't fight them. The problem's too big for us. And as we step into 2017, I know so many of you here get what they're saying or was said 3,000 years ago. You get it. As you walk into 2017, you're saying, I am facing some horrific challenges in my life. Maybe it's a challenge of addiction, a challenge in a relationship, a betrayal, a divorce, a health issue. Maybe you're, you're facing a challenge with, with employment, a challenge with school. I don't know what it is. Nonetheless, you're facing a challenge and your heart's stopping nearly as your stomach clenches. Here's a truth to consider when it comes to facing really hard times and challenges. And it's a truth that plays right into this thing called legacy. And, and this truth is this, insurmountable problems Insurmountable problems are disguises for great opportunity. Insurmountable problems are disguises for great opportunity. I truly believe that, that 90% of life is about how we respond to the 10% of those challenges that are out there. And if you're facing an insurmountable problem, understand that we're going to be we tempted to, to look at that problem through the lens of ourselves. We're challenged to look at that problem through our circumstances rather than the lens of God. And if you're facing that, any insurmountable problem, and we're all going to face them this year, keep to mind the words that God gave his people when they were in the wilderness a really long time. In Deuteronomy 31, verse 8, Moses says to the Jewish people, do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. You don't face your problem alone. You see, the great thing about God is he's timeless. He's already been through your problem and he's waiting at the other side. And when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've got the Holy Spirit indwelling inside you and with you. And he walks hand in hand with you as you go through that challenge. He will not abandon you. He will not fail you or forsake you. So back to our story. The people, they doubt God's word. The spies are given this report, and now people are gathering around. Whoa, what's going on? I mean, we got this, this promised land, and it's, it's a really tough land, and people are freaking out. Enter the hero of our story, or one of the heroes of our story today, our man Caleb. Numbers 13, verses 30 to 32. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone, anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. Welcome to the battle that's fought in this thing called legacy. And it's a battle to walk by faith rather than walk by sight. Caleb's right in the middle of this battle. So who's Caleb? We, we don't know a whole lot about him. We know that he's from the tribe of Judah. That's the same tribe that David came from. It's a tribe that Jesus came from. We know that he's 40 years old when this occurs. We'll find that out in a few minutes. We know that he was part of the, or he was born and raised in Egypt and was part of the whole exodus when God pulled them out of Egypt. That's important. We're going to get to that in a few minutes. But most importantly here, we know that, that Caleb, and what we're going to see today, Caleb is a man of character. And that's important too with this thing called legacy because character and legacy 
They walk hand in hand. They're interlocked. Caleb was a man of character. Someone had influenced Caleb in his life, and we don't know who it was. We don't know if it was a mom, a dad, brother, sister, friends. We don't know, but we do know this, that when, and whenever Caleb went through a difficult time, he responded in faith. And when he responded in faith, he grew in character. And his character was revealed at a time of crisis. And that's an important thing, too, when we talk about this thing called legacy, because character and legacy go hand in hand. You don't show up in a crisis having character, or you don't show up in a crisis and your character is created. Crises don't create character. They reveal it. When you go through a difficult time, your character is going to be revealed. And it's a tough thing to walk with character. See, the Jewish people, they're in crisis, and they ain't walking with it. In the midst of fear, Caleb's showing faith. In the midst of cowards, he's showing character. And it's tough to do when everyone around you doesn't have it. It's a tough thing to walk with this thing called character. It can cost you your friends. It can cost you your job. It can cost you your life. It's the thing that separates the good from the great, the unfaithful from the faithful, the ungodly from the godly. It's character, and it's refined in the crucibles of life. You will not know what you're made of until you hit a crisis. And when you hit a crisis, you pray that your character is sound because crises don't create character. They reveal it. Caleb exhibits it greatly. The Jewish people need it desperately. In the middle, in the middle is our man Moses. And I picture him, again, just sitting on this rock, and he's listening to the spies. And as he's listening to all of these spies, giving these negative reports, he finally gets to Caleb. And Caleb says, come on, Mo, we can do this. You of all people should know God has given us this land. Yeah, there are insurmountable problems out there, but we can take this. God's done it before. He's going to do it, do it again. Let's go. And when, when Caleb starts speaking, all hell breaks loose because the people are afraid. They got to face a challenge and they got to go out and do something that's going to be really, really tough and they don't want to do it. Well, he's got another spy there with him and that spy's name is Joshua, a very popular man in the Bible. And Caleb and Joshua speak together one last time to this group of people who are walking by sight rather than by faith. Numbers 14, verses 7 to 9. Caleb and Joshua, they said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored, it's a wonderful land, and if the Lord's pleased with us, he'll bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It's a rich land, flowing with milk and honey. Don't rebel against the Lord, and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They're only helpless prey to us. They have no protection. But the Lord, the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. Caleb's saying, let's walk by faith. Come on, guys, let's do this. We got tough problems. We can make this happen. Come on, follow me. Let's go. Come on, Mo, make a decision. And I, I picture Joshua, you know, he's standing there and he's like going, yeah, what he said, let's do this. We can do this. And here's what's interesting about this is that Caleb here, he's got a battle buddy. And that battle buddy is named Joshua. He's not fighting this fight by himself. And so here's another point about legacy. Legacy requires courage, it requires confidence, but it also requires companionship. You can't create legacy by yourself. So with Joshua at his side, with God in his heart, Caleb's ready to go do some tough stuff, to kick down some doors, 
And that takes courage. He's going against the tide of negativity. Swimming against the tide takes courage. Any dead fish can float downstream. But it takes a man or woman of courage to step up against and speak against the popular but wrong thing. It takes a man or woman of courage to stand and do what's right when nobody's looking. It's courage. It also takes confidence to create, live out, and leave your legacy. See, Caleb was confident that God was going to accomplish the mission, that God was going to do something amazing. Here's a, a cool point about this story. All 12 spies, they walk around for 40 days, 500 miles. They all see the same thing. But only two spies out of them have a godly perspective. When you look at whatever challenge you face through the lens of God, your perspective on the outcome changes. And that's because you got confidence in God rather than yourself. At some point in Caleb's life, he had humbled himself towards God. He had seen God work so many times, so he got strength from God. He got confidence from God. But he also had companionship. See, Joshua was, his, Joshua was his battle buddy. He was a fellow godly man of character. And they were back-to-back -back spears out as they were fighting this fight for integrity and character and legacy. If you're trying to create and live out a legacy, I just, a word of warning here. Surround yourself with godly men and women. People who will tell you the truth, tell you when you got a booger hanging out your nose, when, when your flies open, when your breath stinks and you truly need a breath mint, and they say, no, that's okay, no, take it, please. You want those types of people in your life. But if you've got negative people in your close circle of friends, you need to put up a healthy boundary with those negative people because they will pull you down. That's for another sermon at another time. Okay, so Joshua and Caleb, they're fired up. They're saying, we can do this, Mo. Come on, we can do this. What happens next? Verses 10 and 11. But the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? Will they never believe me? Even after all the miraculous signs I've done among them? So God shows up and he's ready to do that Yahweh smackdown. He's upset and rightfully so. They've been in the desert only two years. And during that two-year time frame... Two years before that, God had pulled them out of the horrors of slavery. And as they were pulled out of the slavery, you guys, you guys know what happened. You've, you've, you know the story. You know, God pulls them out. He goes up. They get butted up against the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea. They go through the Red Sea. God collapses the Red Sea on Pharaoh's army. Army destroyed, threat diminished. A miracle. They go out in the desert. And in the desert, they're hungry. They got a sweet tooth. So God gives them manna from the sky. It's like vanilla wafers on steroids. And as they get tired of the, of the sweets, they said, we want meat. No vegans allowed. And so God sends them quail. So much quail, it comes through their noses proverbially. When they're thirsty, God provides again, and he gives them water. Every time they need something, God shows up. And they don't appreciate that. In fact, they don't trust God. They walk by sight rather than by faith. So God says, okay, Mo, you pulled me off the ledge. You pulled me off the ledge. I'm not going to schwack all these people. But here's the deal. For the next 38 years, they're going to be stuck in this desert. They've been out here too, 40 years total. One year for every day, those spies walked around the promised land and saw that the land was flowing with milk and honey, but they wouldn't believe me that I'd get them through it. 
And oh, by the way, Mo, everybody who was born and raised in Egypt, they're not going to see the promised land. They will die here in the wilderness. And I think the gulp heard around the world speculation here was Moses because he was like, wait a second, God, I'm one of those guys. And then God says, oh, by the way, here's something that I'm going to do, though, because I'm a good, graceful, loving God, grace-filled, loving God. Caleb and Joshua, they showed faith. And so they're going to get to see the promised land. Everybody else born and raised in Egypt, yeah, they're going to die. Unless you're born and raised in the wilderness, you won't see the promised land. So we hear so much about this guy called Joshua. Joshua has his own book in the Bible. God's got a special place in his heart for Caleb. Look what happens next, verse 24. But my servant Caleb has a different attitude than the others have. He's remained loyal to me, so I will bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will possess their full share of that land. You know, things happen when you create a legacy in partnership with God. All this stuff happens, time goes by, and Moses writes Psalm 90 about this time. And I just wonder, as Caleb's walking in the desert, you know, if you've ever been in the Middle East, um, on a clear night, the stars feel like they can just smother you. It's amazing. And just speculation here, but I wonder if Caleb's out one night walking and he's seeing all of his friends die around him and he's still living and he's still strong. And I just wonder if the words from Psalm 90 verse 12 pop into his head, words that Moses had shared with all the people, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. I wonder, just speculation, if Caleb at any time said, God, all my buddies are dying and I'm still here. Help me realize how short life is. Help me make the most of these days. Help me number these days, take account of these days to make these days count. Well, as I said, time goes by. Moses dies off. God gives the mantle of leadership to Joshua. The people go into the promised land and they got to fight for five years. Again, speculation. I wonder if Moses had made the the unpopular decision to walk by faith rather than by sight and go into the promised land back when the spies gave the report if they would have had to fight for five years to seize that promised land. Who knows? They fight for five years. They take over the promised land. And there's still pockets of resistance, but it's controlled by the Jewish people. So God says, Joshua, line up all your 12 tribes. It's time to give them land, to reward them with land. But the first guy to get any land at all, it's our man Caleb. Fast forward to, to the, the book of Joshua, chapter 14. Caleb is talking to his friend Joshua, who's the leader of the Israelites. Joshua 14, verse 7 to 9. And remember, this is 45 years after the spy incident. Time's gone by. Caleb says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land of Canaan. Kadesh Barnea is a, like a campsite where the spies went out on their little troop. I returned and gave an honest report, but my brothers who went with me frightened the people from entering the promised land. For my part, I wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. So that day Moses solemnly promised me, the land of Canaan on which you were just walking will be your grant of land and that of your descendants forever because you wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. Let's look at this phrase, I wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. It's used six times in scripture and every time it's used... It's reflected back on this guy named Caleb. So what does it mean? It means this. When the Jewish people believe their fear, 
Caleb believed his faith and wholeheartedly followed the Lord his God. When the Jewish people turned on their heels and ran away from a promise from God, but, but a promise with challenges because every promise will have challenges, Caleb turned on his faith and he wholeheartedly followed the Lord as God. When the Jewish people walked by sight, Caleb walked by faith and wholeheartedly followed the Lord his God. When Caleb served an undeserved sentence in the desert for 38 more years, because the Jewish people believed the, the opinion of man rather than his belief of the promises of God. He wholeheartedly followed the Lord his God. And that's a key thing about legacy. This legacy that we create. This legacy that we want to live out day by day. It requires us to follow the Lord completely day by day. To follow the Lord completely day by day. And here's an interesting point. Caleb, 45 years earlier, had stood in faith. Caleb had demonstrated his faith. He had walked by faith, but he wasn't rewarded with that until 45 years later. And I think it's an important point for all of us to remember that when we go through stuff, we aren't rewarded immediately, sometimes, for the faith we demonstrate. Faith on the front end is often met with blessings on the back end. 45 years later, and if you're going through something right now, if you're going through a struggle right now, please show that faith and stand in faith. God's going to do something with that. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be 10,000 tomorrows, but you will be rewarded. It may be when you cross the line into eternity and Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. You will be rewarded for following the Lord completely day by day. Verses 10 and 11. Caleb continues, now as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well as he has promised for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise. Faith on the front end, blessings on the back end. Even while Israel wandered in the wilderness, today I'm 85 years old. I'm as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then at the age of 85. He's not bitter about his circumstance. In fact, he has this godly attitude. And from this godly attitude, he's got, he, he has godly strength. He's 85 years old. And he's not saying it's time to retire and put on bedroom slippers. I'm keeping my, my combat boots on because God's got work for me to do. And for you senior saints here, we appreciate you so much. You know, I saw Alta Ruth this morning. She's in her 90s. I love this lady. She was up here on the stage uh, just before the leadership summit, encouraging us all to get our minds prepared for the leadership summit because that's what she was doing because she's a leader and God's got work for her to do. She's wholeheartedly following the Lord, her God. Uh, day before yesterday, I was at a, a nursing home and uh, visiting one of our senior saints there, Jean. And Jean says, Kip, man, I'm praying for you guys this weekend. I can't get out of bed, but I'm praying for you guys. I'm praying for this service this weekend. He's wholeheartedly following the Lord, his God. My mom is awesome. She's in Houston. She's watching right now. Hi, mom. She's not she, in Houston. She, she's not going to Joel Osteen's church today. Take that, Joel Osteen. Yeah. I love this woman. She's got a great story. My mom, uh, breast cancer survivor. I've shared her story here before. Breast cancer survivor. Uh, seven years ago, the breast cancer came back, stage four, incurable. For seven years, this woman has been going to chemotherapy every week. One day every week for seven years. Incurable. She calls it her happy hour. 
And she goes and she prays for people and encourages people as they pump poison in her body to keep the tumors from spreading. She's wholeheartedly following the Lord, her God. If you ain't dead, you ain't done. God's got work for you to do. So senior saints, thank you for the work you're doing. Keep on going, verses 12 and 13. Caleb continues. So give me the hill country, the hill country that the Lord promised me. You will remember that as scouts, that means as spies, we found the descendants of Anak living there in great walled town. Caleb has his choice of land. He can take the, the best farmland out there. He'd be rich from that. Doesn't take it. He could take a land where he could uh, raise cattle and sheep and be a very powerful herdsman. He doesn't take that. Caleb, Caleb takes a mountain. And it's not just any mountain. These descendants of Anak, as I said, they're tough guys and they live in fortified towns. But does he care? No. He's activating the same faith he showed 45 years ago. If God had taken him through that challenge then, he's going to take him through the next challenge. Let's keep on going. Verses 12 and 13. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them, the giants, out of the land, just as the Lord said. So Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave Hebron to him as his portion of land. So once again, Caleb's not only aware of God's presence. He's not only aware of God's promises. He's aware of God's power. And he takes a mountain. As I was, I've read this story so many times. But as I was preparing the teaching today, I saw in this, this one word, Hebron, it's the name of the mountain. Hebron can, be, it can have three different meanings. One of the meanings is communion. A second meaning is an alliance. And the third meaning is community. And have you ever considered that God calls on us to take, the mountain, take on the mountains in our lives, to slay those giants so we can have a closer communion with him? That he tells us to walk by faith in those difficult times, trusting in him because we have an alliance with him and he's fighting for us. That he surrounds us with godly men and women to fight a fight, a fight of faith. That's what God calls us to do. He calls us to take on mountains and slay giants. But guess what? Giants are part of this journey. Giants are part of the journey. I truly believe that you will never know your greatest strength until you come face to face with your biggest giant. Giants are part of the journey. Making the days count involves slaying those giants that cross our paths. And here's the thing that we see in this life of Caleb that's so important for us when we want to live out, create, live out, and leave a legacy. No legacy is created by standing on the sidelines, by sitting up in the stands and being a critic of whatever's going on on the field, by walking on eggshells. Those things, those things might give you longevity, but they won't give you legacy. Caleb took a mountain. And he calls on, God calls on you, and he calls on me to do the same. As you step forward into 2017, you may be looking at some rough challenges. And I just want to tell you right now, if you're feeling abandoned by God, if you're feeling, as Pastor Scott said last week in his teaching, that when you pray, your, your prayers just bounce off the ceiling, if you feel that, that, that your life right now, because of the decisions you've made, is imploding have hope. 
and I want you to write these six words down. They're not in your link, but write them down at the top of your link. Trinity Church of God, I know you guys are watching. You don't have our, our link, but uh, write it down on a piece of paper. If you're watching online, write it down. These six words, God is not finished with me. God is not finished with me. Are you lacking hope in your life right now? God's not finished with you. Are, dis are you discouraged with where you are in life right now, relationally, with your employment with your faith, God is not finished with you. I truly believe in my heart and my soul that God wants to do big things through us. And what I mean by big things, those are big things in God's eyes, not the world's eyes. But it's the paradox of God's kingdom. It's the goofy thing about God's kingdom. In order for God to do something big, we got to become small. Jesus gives that example. Jesus said, I, I didn't come to this earth to be served, but to serve, to serve. We become smaller, and God becomes greater, and things happen. And here's our final thought of the day on this thing called legacy. Legacy is made through heartfelt humility, selfless living, and unwavering faith. It's made through heartfelt humility, selfless living, and unwavering faith. It's the life that Caleb lived. I'd argue it's the life that Abraham Lincoln lived. But most importantly, it's the life that Jesus lived. Jesus spent his 33 years on this earth focusing on God first, taking the focus off of himself and putting it on others and pouring in to others. And folks, legacy is really created when you take your focus off of yourself, especially when you're, seeing, you're in the midst of those insurmountable problems. You take the focus off of yourself, you put it on God, and you put it on others. You give of yourself. God gives us that example. John 3.16 is all about that. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. God gave us the greatest gift of all, his son Jesus. Jesus gave his life so we could not only have that eternal life with God, but we could also live a life more abundant. And by life more abundant, I mean a life of purpose, a life of principle, a life of legacy. And Jesus calls on us then to give of ourselves to others, to make his kingdom a reality. So Christmas is over, but there's still one more gift to give, and that gift is you. I'm a big college football fan, uh, Roll Tide Roll. Sorry, is that too soon, UW fans? Sorry. Anyway, I've been following... Uh, some booze in the audience, ouch. I've been following Alabama football for 48 years. Been my favorite football team, but I got to tell you guys, I can't name the top five players over the past five years off the Alabama football team. But I can tell you like this, five people who have had an influence on me and in my life, who have poured into me, who have, have taken me from a very ugly spot to a, a pretty good spot. Because they gave of themselves. They gave a part of themselves. Each one of them gave me a gift that I could never repay. A gift of themselves. And here's a challenge I want to give you as we step into this week. But it's also a challenge for your life. And it's this. Give some of yourself away to someone. Give some of yourself away to someone. Do it each day. And while that may seem overwhelming, start small. Find someone who, needs, who, who wants to spend an hour a week with you 
and just bless them, pour into them. Find someone who needs some encouragement and encourage them. Give them a note of encouragement. Be a blessing to someone and build on that. Jesus said, what you did for the least of these, you did for me. Make the days count. Leave a legacy by the choices you make, and those choices you make involve pouring into others. That's what Jesus did. And that, my friends, is legacy. Let's go ahead and stand and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you that you gave us your son so we could have this thing called a life more abundant. And as we step out of here today, so many of us are facing challenges. It just makes us want to weep and run. And we know that you're there with us. Give us courage to face whatever challenge it is this week. Give us courage to focus first on you and then on others. God, saturate us with your love. Use us to bring your kingdom and make it a reality. In Christ's name, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he shine his face upon you. May he shower you with grace and give you peace. Have a great week. We've got a prayer team up front. If you need it, go Seahawks. Roll Tide.